Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. In this episode of The Dad Project, Ashton Ellis talks about a topic that is relevant to many families in a down economy, relocation. He shares practical tips for the ways dads can make a big move successful for a family. Ashton is co-founder of The Dad Project. He and his wife have eight children. Well, I've got some big news to share with everybody. I moved a family of 10 halfway across the country from California to Texas. So as you can imagine, there's been a lot of changes in the Ellis household. You know, simple questions like, where's the grocery store? Where's the dry cleaners? Does anybody know a good auto mechanic? How about a doctor, a dentist? You name it, and we have no idea where it is. There's also been a lot of changes. We've had some financial changes because, as I'm sure any guy knows, moving ain't cheap. And most houses come with some problems. The last few months have been a great lesson for my wife and I in trade-offs. I think one of the funnier ones that we actually had a conversation about was a trampoline or a new refrigerator. There's also, of course, been some emotional changes, especially with the kids. You know, they've grown up their entire lives in basically a 20-mile radius. They've left behind good friends, a really good school, and lots of happy memories. Plus, with all the uncertainty and precautions because of COVID, it's been really hard to meet new people. So to help my family make the transition to a new place, I'm relying on three things my dad taught me when we had to move, which we did quite a few times when I was a kid. The first thing my dad did was teach us how to, what I'm going to call, go native. In other words, embrace your new hometown. Learn its history and pivotal players. You know, every place has a story, landmarks, statues. We kind of see these, I think, when we're driving around and looking at all the street signs, for instance. You go to the civic buildings, whether it's City Hall or maybe the local elementary school, and you see names. Names are everywhere, and names mean something. It can be a really good idea with the family to figure out who these people are and why the names are there. Because at the end of the day, it helps you become part of that community. So what's our story? Or I should say, our new story. Well, we moved to Irving, Texas. And as legend goes, it was named after Washington Irving, a great American writer himself was named after George Washington. Apparently, one of the wives of one of the founders of the city really liked Washington Irving, and so the name kind of stuck. We also live in a neighborhood area, part of a big development called Las Colinas. With my sea level understanding of Spanish, I just assumed that, that meant the colony because it was laid out as a housing development. No, no, no. What it actually means is a little ranch in the hills. That was what the mother of the family who owned the ranch that eventually became the housing development called it when the kids were young. So again, the name stuck when one of the sons sold the land. So it now makes a lot more sense why in the aftermath of what used to be a very large horse ranch, there's all these Mustangs everywhere. And pretty much the official mascot of the city of Irving is a wild Mustang. In fact, there's a huge award-winning nine-horse statue uh, right in the middle of downtown, celebrating this heritage. And who do I have to thank for this? Well, a man named Ben Carpenter. Now, you won't see Ben's particular name on the highway. It cuts right through Las Colinas. You'll see his dad's. 
John Carpenter. Uh, but the son of the family uh, was quite an impressive guy. He lived a quintessentially American life. He grew up raising horses, and when World War II started, he had just graduated high school. So, of course, he did what every red-blooded American would do and joined the U.S. Cavalry. He was in the last class in cavalry school to actually graduate and ride horses. Everybody else went to tanks. And that's what we now know as the armored cavalry. So anyway, um, his first assignment was patrolling the U.S.-Mexican border. You know, if you've ever seen a John Wayne movie, uh, like She Wore a Yellow Ribbon or Rio Grande or Fort Apache, that's exactly what Ben Carpenter was doing. I uh, had the cowboy hat, the blue shirt, and was making sure that there weren't any bad guys coming over into the, into the United States. Well, towards the end of the war, he was reassigned and became part of the team that accepted the surrender of the Japanese in mainland China. This is all for a guy who's basically in his early 20s. So he comes back, now goes to college, and had a very successful business and philanthropic career. And, of course, many of the streets and civic buildings in Irving bear his mark. He was the mastermind behind uh, the Las Colinas development. And there's a nice statue of him uh, on a little bluff uh, right there near downtown. So I learned all this in about three hours. It was a combination of a Google search and the tour of uh, some public spaces with my wife and kids one Sunday afternoon. This helped us as a family to establish a deeper connection to our new home. Now when the kids go by and see the Ben Carpenter statue or the cow statues that are out there or the Mustang uh, mascot, uh, they have a sense of why that's there and why that kind of belongs to them as part of this new community. So I encourage you to do that with your town, no matter how long you've been there. You know, if you've grown up and never know why the elementary school or the high school is named after so-and-so, now's a good time to figure it out. Uh, if you don't know why the main boulevards are named uh, who they are, you know, a Google search or something in your public library, uh, which can be great resources for this stuff, because a lot of branch libraries will have information on the local uh, area. So what's number two? Well, I'm going to call BYOE, Bring Your Own Environment. You know, I think we all appreciate the new guy at work who comes with a sense of calm and clarity about the job at hand. You know, he's the kind of person that no matter what finds ways to contribute toward the goal. So if you like baseball, you probably have seen the World Series home run hit many years ago by a guy named Kirk Gibson. Now, when you rewatch the video later today or tomorrow, like I would if I was hearing this talk, you will see Gibson hobbling up to the batter's box and cranking a pitch over the wall. As he pumps his fist around the base pass, he looks every bit like the old veteran who just managed to somehow summon up the last bit of energy to make one more contribution for his team. At least, that's how I always thought the story went. But Gibson wasn't old. He was hurt. In fact, he basically destroyed his legs making a miraculous catch in the National League Championship Series just days before the World Series. He was also new. 88, the year the Dodgers went to and won that World Series, was his first year on the team. He was one of the best players in Major League Baseball in the 80s, and he was brought in to toughen up a talented but soft roster that the Dodgers had. And he didn't disappoint. Starting in spring training, which as people who watch baseball know, is the time before the season starts. It's when guys kind of get themselves in shape and show the coaches who should be starters and who should go back down to the minors. Gibson was all business. Uh, some of his younger teammates, really talented guys, were in the business of basically playing practical jokes. Well, Gibson let it be known that, that kind of stuff wouldn't be tolerated on the World Series winning teams he had been on. And the Dodgers quickly got down to business that year. Gibson won the National League MVP. And after he 
basically destroyed himself uh, getting his team, willing his team to the World Series. He comes in in the ninth inning with two outs and on a full count, hits a game-winning home run. So the next time your kid is preparing to do that in the backyard and imagine himself uh, as the, the next you know, hero for his baseball team, it's really Kurt Gibson uh, that he's trying to be. And it might even be good to tell him uh, what Gibson had to go through to get to that moment. So I think Gibson's a good example in this context of bringing your own environment to something. You know, he practiced what he preached that because of his track record and his consistency, his teammates stepped up their game. So I think as a dad, one thing we can ask ourselves if we've relocated recently or you know, got some big change in our family, you know, what am I doing to bring the Gibson mentality to the family? You know, do I give in to complaining when things get hard? Do I seek comfort instead of a challenge? And what kind of mindset am I modeling for my kids? You know, and I think we can see this really important when we f- see the defects in our own children, right? So it's not just about us and our example, but as far as how we deal with problems, but how do we help them identify and deal with their own problems? Do I see my kids' defects as opportunities to identify where they need help? Oh, so you're not very good at controlling your temper. I see. Oh, you're not very good at living order with your things and putting your toys away. You're not really that good at volunteering to help mom with the baby. You know, well, do I look at that as a way to help them improve so that they become the kind of people that want to think and behave in the best way possible? You know, it's good to correct, but it's even better to give directed practice, you know, to show the kid and practice with them how to react in that situation, just like a coach would do with a ball player, right? You know, we, we, we know that these guys watch tons of video. They might watch as much video as they actually practice on the field these days. But the purpose of that is to see where they're weak so they can eliminate weakness and hopefully make them a strength. Finally, I want to share a third thing my dad taught me when we had to move uh, occasionally when I was a kid. And that's that there are good people everywhere. We just have to go out and meet them. One of my dad's jobs took us from Texas to Kentucky uh, right after I had finished first grade. And it was a great opportunity for my dad. Turned out to be a great opportunity for the family. Uh, But of course, like any small kid, you know, you've got your friends and you don't want to go. But my dad uh, was pitch perfect, at least um, uh, in the way he set up uh, the move announcement to us. So he brings my brother and I into his room, his office, and he sang us a song and it spelled out Kentucky. So, you know, it was uh, kind of a sing-song way to do it. And what made it sweet then and now is the fact that my dad's basically tone deaf. Uh, he really can't carry a tune, but I could tell he was putting his whole heart into trying to make us happy about this possibility for the family. And that really took the sting out. Seeing my dad's joy, realizing that he had put a lot of himself into thinking through a way to help, you know, uh, a seven and a five-year-old uh, want to go on this adventure with him. Uh, really helped me to see what we were doing is not something just that my dad wanted to do or we're doing it for my dad, we're doing it with my dad. And it's something that I'm hoping that my kids are getting about our move from California to Texas. And as I was making this move uh, to Texas, uh, my dad gave me some more good advice. So this is kind of a bonus one here. He says, give any move six months to settle in and be watchful for every child's um, reaction. And most of them won't come immediately. It won't be on the car ride. It won't be even the first week or month while you're there. But as they settle in, make sure that you're always paying attention to the kids' needs and your wife's needs. You know, make time for each person individually as much as humanly possible. 
take them on a walk around the neighborhood for 15 minutes, right? Go on a bike ride, whittle some time away with them. Maybe if it's just running an errand, you know, kind of having them hop in the car with you and give them a piece of chocolate uh, while you pick up the dry cleaning. And of course, a weekly date night, I think should be a goal for all of us dads uh, with our, with our wives. Are we making the time for the most important person in the house, which is our wife? And then, you know, if your wife is staying home like mine does with our kids, um, that can be very isolating. So it's important, I think, for dads, uh, for husbands, to be looking for ways to manufacture opportunities to meet other families. One of the quickest ways to meet other people is to offer to host. And I know maybe at the outset that sounds kind of crazy. Why would you want to host something when you just got somewhere? Well, one of the ways it works is that you provide the setting and someone else takes care of the logistics. And maybe even a third person takes care of the, the potluck or the food. You know, most people don't want to host. Now with COVID, it can be understandable why. But if you live in a situation where it makes sense, you know, big backyard, you know, you've, you've got the right kind of people and the right kind of attitude uh, for wherever you are, then it can be something that is really helpful uh, to put yourself out there and meet others. And I think, you know, if you're the host, then your kids also learn how to entertain other kids because they're on your turf. You know, they learn how to greet strangers. They learn how to get practice serving other people, maybe getting a glass of water for this person or seeing if someone wants to have their trash thrown away, just tidying up generally. So the bottom line is to be consistent. You know, when we relocate, when we move, uh, we want to be able to transfer our family traditions from one place to another. We bring our culture with us. We bring who we are as a family to the new place. And it was really edifying for me to see the kids step into their new home in Texas and immediately start thinking through the things that make them uh, part of the Ellis family. You know, okay, what's the tallest room? Because that's where the Christmas tree is going to go, right? Where are we going to have the pumpkin carving in the backyard and the pumpkin gut fight that follows that immediately afterwards on Halloween? Um, which room's going to have the TV? Because gosh, we got to have a Friday night movie and pizza. So, you know, these are the things that are going through their mind because this is just part of living in our family. This is part of what we do. And it makes that relocation something I think that we can always, in one sense, look forward to because it's not so much of a, of a change of who we are as a person, but just a change of where we are as a family. So when it comes to relocating, addresses change, but families are forever. As dads and husbands, we can be the kind of people that do so much to help that become a reality. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.